Blog Talk Radio. Hey, this is Anthony C. Ferrante, director of Sharknado. Hi, this is the voice of BattleBots, Mark Biro. This is Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at the SETI Institute. Hello, my name is Matt Simon. I am a science writer at Wired Magazine and author of the new book, The Wasp That Brainwashed the Caterpillar. This is Frank Joseph. I'm the author of an essay in the latest book, Lost Secrets of the Gods. Hi, this is Linda Godfrey, author of American Monsters. Hello, my name is Robert Salas. I'm the author of Unidentified, the UFO Phenomenon. Hi, this is Nick Redfern, the author of Close Encounters of the Fatal Kind. Hi, my name is Bob Luca. And my name is Betty Andreessen Luca. Hi, this is Jesse Proust, the producer of JFK, The Smoking Gun. Hello, this is Marty Langford. I'm the director of Doom, the untold story of Roger Corman's of Fantastic Four. Hi, this is Kevin Randall, author of Alien Mysteries, Conspiracies, and Cover-Up. Hi, this is Tracy Roberts, founder of Positive Autistic. I'm Jeremiah Bomek, the producer of The Real of Horror. Hi, my name is Bill Hall, author of The World's Most Haunted House. Hi, this is Micah Hanks, and I'm the author of the book The Ghost Rockets. And you're listening to Emmy on the Graveyard Shift talk show, blogtalkradio.com. Deep within the molten core of a dying star. That's hot. From the snow-capped mountaintops of Middle Earth. Orbiting above the Earth in a stolen alien spacecraft. The Graveyard Shift online radio talk show. Now, strap on your seatbelt. Get ready to kneel, true believers, because here's your host, Emmy. Well, well, well. Hello, everybody out there in Internet Radio Land. This is Emmy, your host, and this is the Graveyard Shift Talk Show. The greatest talk show that ever has been, is, or ever will be. And I want to welcome all of you here tonight. I know we've got a pretty popular topic tonight. We um, got quite a lot of uh, responses on our online poll with the uh, the Flat Earth. And, and with that, by the way, this episode and this season of the Graveyard Shift Talk Show is brought to you by Words Take Flight Books, a publisher that's located up north in the U.S. of A., in the, in the round, the, you know, the, the, well, the U.S. of A. is actually not round, but it's located in a round. Well, anyway, you know what I mean. The point is, you have to go north. To, but you don't have to go north to get their books. They have all kinds of books, and they also have other services that they offer. And if you want to learn more about this awesome company, all you have to do is go to www.wtfbooks.net. That's www.wtfbooks.net, and you can learn more about it. You know, preferably, you know, you open a new window before you do that, because if you do it in the same window as you're doing, then I, I go away, and that's not cool. I mean, you know. It's kind of rude for you to leave right in the middle of my talking. I mean, gosh, we just met each other and you're leaving me. Okay. So today we are at season eight, episode 11. The earth is flat. No, it's round. Duck season. No weather season. Fire. I wonder how many people are going to get that joke. I hope a lot. You know, I mean, am I, have I gotten so old guys that now Looney Tunes humor is, no longer understood. I mean, have we gotten to this point? And, and, you know, the reason I say this is because I actually came across some, some people recently. And I did a little joke that uh, similar. It was a Looney Tunes related one. It was, it was a very 
well-known one. Okay, we're we're talking. I think, in fact, I think it was the um, uh, um, Wiley Coyote, evil genius. I think something to that effect. Even if they couldn't understand the evil genius part, at the very least, they could have gotten the Wiley Coyote part. I mean, he's like the most one of the most popular cartoon characters, not just in Looney Tunes, but period. I mean, he's a household. He should still be a household name. I know that they have, you know, costumed characters of him on some of the Six Flags locations. I'm, I, I'm assuming. I've never actually been to a Six Flags. I, I would like to one day, but um, I'm assuming that's that's that he's there somehow. So I mean, you're not going to believe it, but they actually did not understand me when I when I did this Wiley Coyote quote. But there you have it. Just, that's how old it's gotten, and you know. That's what this is all about, isn't it? This whole flat earth thing. So what, what is this? What is Emmy talking about? Well, I'm actually going to get into it later tonight because what I always do in this show, for those of you that are new, The Graveyard Shift is actually a talk show about a wide variety of topics, okay? I discuss pop culture, geek culture, anime, gaming, movies, uh, you know, comic books, comic book conventions, or well, really a lot of different kinds of conventions. I also discuss uh, the film industry, the theater industry, especially the local creative culture. And when I say local, I'm actually referring to where we are based out of, which is Tampa, Florida. And, you know, Tampa's actually got a pretty awesome creative community. And I know we all, and all over the country, we have, we all have our own awesome creative communities. So definitely, definitely want to give some rep or excuse me, I didn't say that right, some respect to, you know, the rest of the country and their creative arts communities. Um, but, you know, we are from Tampa, so obviously we're going to tout ours. And um, for those of you that are not aware, I actually recently did some interviews at the local um, Gasparilla International Film Festival. And it's actually a very a world-famous film festival, and I did an, I interviewed several independent filmmakers. Um, I did, um, you know, some video coverage and whatnot. And then after that, I also did a exclusive interview. Well, not no, it's an exclusive, but a special rather interview episode with uh, Dr. Paul Bearer. Now I'm not talking about the Paul Bearer from WWE. Okay. Um, because he's passed on, obviously. Well, I'm not laughing because he passed on, obviously. No, God rest his soul. I'm talking about the horror host character, Dr. Paul Bear. And um, if you want to watch that interview, that I think it's going to be aired on his page. I want to say this coming week, but I don't know for sure. But, you know, if you haven't already, we always encourage our fans to, you know, give some love to, uh, rather show some love. Don't give it. Cause I mean, you know, Dr. Paul might turn you into a corpse, show some love to our uh, colleagues and our friends out there. And uh, you can do that by searching for Dr. Paul bear on Facebook, or you can just go to his uh, website, drpaulbearer2.com. That's drpaulbearer2.com. But anyway, that interview should probably, uh, you know, air sometime next week. All right. So moving on, what else does Emmy do? Well, actually, I also discussed the news, the weird news of the day. Um, And that's actually a very um, popular portion of the show. And, you know, I don't mean like 
just talking about hauntings and, you know, things like that. I'm talking about, do you know how your local um, news stations used to do wacky news of the day? So it's kind of something similar to that. And, um, oh, it's, I got to tell you guys, it's, um, it's amazing how many weird, weird things are out there, weird news. So here, here's some of the news. And then after I talk about this, then we're going to get into the whole uh, flat earth topic. And of course, I'm, I'm going to, you know, take some calls and uh, we'll see. I say that every time and, you know, no one ever has the courage to call in. And, uh, but if somebody does, wonderful. And here we go. And by the way, if you would like to call in while I'm reading the news, you can do that if you want to comment on it or if you want to make fun of me or whatever. Um, you can do that by calling area code 347-237-5187. That's area code 347-237-5187. Or you can go to blogtalkradio.com slash the graveyard shift and listen to me there now, or rather call in there now. What I also want to do is I want to make sure that I can hear myself that because I've had issues before that, you know, people haven't uh, heard me for some reason. Like I can be heard on, on one website, but not on the other. So I'm going to make sure that I can be heard real quick. Okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So right now it's just going through my show. So I'm just going to fast forward. Oh, good. Okay. I can hear myself. Perfect. Okay. So strange news of the day. All right, guys. Well, you know, if it wasn't, if we men weren't already being overrun by women, now female cockroaches are overrun. No, no, no. I'm not kidding. Female cockroaches are, think it has been discovered, okay, that first of all, female cockroaches do not need a mate to lay eggs. So they're like, I don't need you, boy, boyfriend. I, I can do my own thing, man. I can make myself happy. So they do, however, like company. So this new research has discovered, right, that virgin female cockroaches housed together are quicker to produce offspring than virgin females living alone. Now, obviously, you know, we don't want to think about this too much because it's kind of gross, but it's true. The parent Planeta Americana, which is the scientific name for the American cockroach, can produce eggs by what's called parthenogenesis, which is a type of asexual reproduction. Like many other arthropods that can reproduce in this way, roaches tend to do so only if males aren't available. Offspring born by parthenogenesis develop from the maternal egg cell alone, so they have less genetic diversity than offspring created by sexual reproduction. For American roaches, eggs produced by parthenogenesis have a lower rate of survival than egg clutches produced after roach sex. But the offspring of the single moms are capable of surviving and mating. Now, researchers from Hokkaido University in Japan where else was this going to happen, right? We're curious, curious about what prompts roaches to go with this less successful reproductive strategy. Now, obviously, a lack of males couldn't be the only reason. The researchers 
wrote in a recent uh, zoological paper, females need to be able to discern not only an overall lack of males, but the proportion of males related to them and the likelihood of finding a mate given a particular population density. So to test the effect of this social milieu, the researchers put these female roaches in different situations. So the, in the control group, a male and a female were housed together, and they were allowed to you know, have nasty roach sex. Uh, in other cases, females were kept with one, two, three, or four other females. Now, other female roaches were kept with other female roaches, rather, were kept with, get this, castrated males. I can't even imagine, how do you castrate a guy, a male roach? I mean, what, do you call the roach moil? I mean, I don't know. Any Jews out there get that joke? The researchers also tested the effects of adding pheromones, which are chemicals that insects use for communication, to all female cockroach groups. Then, what they did was they counted the number of eggs laid in each condition and how long it took for the females to lay the eggs. They discovered that the virgin roaches kept alone laid eggs via parthenogenesis after 13.4 days on average, plus or minus about four days. Virgin roaches kept in groups jumped to parthenogenesis significantly faster. For example, female roaches kept in a trio started laying eggs after an average of 10 days, plus or minus a couple of days. Even more striking, virgin roaches kept in all female groups laid their second clutch of eggs much sooner than virgin roaches kept alone. So it's an average of like 18 days versus 25 and 30 days for the isolated roaches, right? Now, adding the pheromones that we were talking about earlier that I mentioned earlier did not change the roaches' time to parthenogenesis, okay? Though being housed with castrated males delayed the process more than being housed with female. Now, I, you know, I can probably imagine why. I mean, you know, you got this, you know, sexy, hot female roach going, hey, baby, I want you to sex me up, roach daddy. And the roach daddy's like, oh, dude, lady, I totally want to, but, like, my junk doesn't work and stuff. Like, my roach penis doesn't work because, like, all non-roachy. And she's like, oh, baby, I don't care. Just let me see your roach penis. He's like, oh, wait, here's my roach penis. And it's, like, not even there. It, and it's like, I mean, that's messed up, right? Right? I mean, it's totally messed up. So there you have it. I mean, who needs that mess, right? Oh, I sure don't. I don't know about you, but I sure don't. I've totally lost my page. Where'd my page go? Ah, where'd my page go? It's around here somewhere. Oh, there it is. So anyway, that's, that's that. That's enough about roaches. I can't talk about them anymore. Ugh. Uh, you know, and enough about roaches. How about, how about a cute animal? How about kittens? Everyone loves kittens, right? How much do you love kittens? Do you love kittens enough to smell like them? Because if you do, you're in luck. <laughs> there is actually a, a perfume of kitten. No, it's true. Perfume company Demeter Fragrance Library recently announced the release of a new fragrance dubbed Kitten Fur. The perfume... <laughs> the perfume... Per the perfume captures the olfactory essence of the warmth and comfort of that perfect spot just behind a kitten's neck. Now, this is according to production description on the company's website. So, kitten fur joins a range of Demeter scents that are also inspired by the natural world, including, you guys are going to love this, giant sequoia, mountain air. Now, that one I can understand. Grass, 
dirt, and earthworms. How did they get scent of an earthworm? Earthworms don't smell like anything except dirt, which they already have. So how did they bottle this, you wonder? Well, to identify and replicate signature, okay, perfumers may use a technique called headspace technology in which they isolate and sample the air near its source in order to build a chemical fingerprint that can be analyzed and replicated in the lab. However, making kitten fur was complicated. Well, it was probably going to have to chase the kitten around. He wanted to knock stuff over the table. You know. The number of materials that can be safely applied directly to the skin is limited, restricting a perfumer's chemical palette from mixing up new smells. Recreating the scent produced by large organic molecules such as those found in animal smells is especially tricky. It's just, you know, really hard, they said, to get that kind of depth, complexity, and subtlety that you need. Well, get this. Kitten fur was by far the most requested fragrance by their customers. Uh, By the way, this was closely followed by bacon and puppy's breath both of which, oh, are still in development, according to the company. So they spent 15 years working on kitten fur before the scent finally clicked, thanks to, oh God, to a compound that he had, they hadn't come across before. Oh, oh man, I, I, I can't even do it. I mean, they asked one of the uh, designers, what does it smell like? Because they obviously didn't want to smell it themselves. And he, this guy said, Almost like a combination of skin and sunshine. I uh, did not know sunshine smells. But then again, I didn't know the earth was flat either. So you learn something new every day, right? And here's something else you learn. Ghosts hover around the massive telescope in these new images. Very interesting, right? So there's this image that was captured in the darkness of the James Webb telescope in a clean room. Okay. And it makes, and it looks like these ghosts are around it. Okay. Because of the long exposure needed to take a picture in the dark, the clean room scientists, you know, kind of moving around the telescope resemble wraiths in the photograph. And now for those of you that are not sure what this means. Okay. Long exposure means the camera's shutter is left open for a long period of given ample time for the few light particles or photons we're actually going to be talking science later today tonight in the dark to hit the sensor or photographic paper and create an image of the object now as a result moving objects appear blurry because the light particles reflecting from them come from different locations while the shutter is open while stationary objects remain well perfectly crisp really so i'm I'm actually i will um I'll share this with you guys, actually, so you can see it for yourself. I'm gonna, I just tweeted it to our uh, Twitter feed, which is Emmy Shift Show. That's if anybody's even on it at all at this rate. I mean, nobody's calling in, which I'm not surprised. Nobody ever does. Nobody's you know, got guts to call me or whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm ugly. Okay, so there's that. Speaking of ugly, you know what's ugly? Peeing in public. That's right. But when you're an astronaut, you don't have that luxury. Well, guess what? Now you can use your pee for something good, astronauts. And guess what? Matt Damon was right. If you, 
look, if you want to be one of the first humans to visit Mars, I hope you have a strong stomach, really, because scientists in Germany are testing ways in which, get this, urine and sweat could help astronauts grow food on the Red Planet. I'll be honest with you, this isn't such an unusual idea. I mean, first of all, we've seen how fecal matter, human fecal matter, could create potatoes in Mars, and they used real-world science to make this happen on, on, in the movie The Martian. Um, I mean, look, we've never been to Mars, okay? Well, humans themselves, ourselves, have actually not set foot on Mars. So we don't really know if it really will work. Now, most food from the missions to the uh, International Space Station, for example, are brought as cargo. Okay? However, longer duration space missions, such as the ones that are going to go to Mars, will need a self-sustaining food supply. So uh, one of the plant physiologists at the German Aerospace Center is researching how to grow food in space, including a test system that involves a tank of urine and a tomato plant. Now, this is interesting because um, basically the way that he put it was the Earth is a closed biological system. With a, You guys like this? Look, look, I'm making it like a round shape with my hands because the Earth is round. And anyway, the Earth is a closed biological system. With I'm, just, I'm trying to kind of tease the flat Earth believers to call in, which they probably won't, but oh well, whatever. With, uh, the, the Earth is a round, closed biological system with plants producing oxygen and food. Then you have the animals and the microbes to produce all the degradation processes in the soil, right? Now, without these systems, no sustainable long-term life support system will be viable, okay? Because you need the bacteria to make certain protein compounds, okay? So using both synthetic and human urine, House Lodge is conducting lab experiments to recreate this cycle in a way that could be useful for astronauts. So, you know, for example, the scientists filled columns of urine with pumice stones, which are the, uh, you know, the hole-covered stones that form when lava mixes with water. Now, within the pumice stones' holes are colonies of bacteria feed on the urine, and it converts the ammonia in the urine to nitrate, nitrites and nitrate cell salts, which is a fertilizer. So there you go. So that's interesting. So, you know, maybe they'll, they'll um, offer a way for people – to, um, you know, give uh, their own urine uh, to these astronauts. That, that would be interesting. I mean, how many of you guys would like to do that? You know, that, that, that's like an a intergalactic drug test. That should be interesting. <laughs> like some, some astronauts eating, you know, his, uh, his oatmeal in the morning. He's like, dude, like, what if, like, space was, like, within us? Like, Gary, what's wrong with you, man? You're... I said, I don't know, man, I just feel weird ever since I ate this oatmeal. What's going on? Hey, somebody check where, didn't we use that oatmeal, that, that, for that urine for that oatmeal? Yeah, yeah, check where that urine came from. Uh, let, me, uh, let me see. Um, uh, it says, uh, uh, whatever, I don't know marijuana plant's name, so just insert name of marijuana plant. Sorry, I probably blew the joke, but oh well. Okay, so now finally, finally, we get to the real nitty-gritty of the show, which is what? What do you guys now? You know nobody's called in yet, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. I would like to have some callers on the line before I start the subject of flatter. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give time for people to call in, and to do that, I'm going to play 
a um, an interview that I had recently with a, an independent filmmaker from Sweden named Marcus Obnell. And I'm going to go ahead and play this interview. And while I'm playing this interview, I'm going to give you guys time to call in if you believe the earth is flat. And you know what? I'm not even going to. If you believe the earth is round, call in anyway. And we'll pretend that you think the earth is flat. Whatever. I don't care at this point. So I'm going to play this interview. Call area code 347-237-5187. That's area code 347-237-5187. I'm going to go ahead and play this interview with Marcus. And after that, we'll be back. And hopefully we'll have callers on the line. If not, I really don't care. I'll do the the debate by myself like I said I was going to do anyway. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the interview. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Emmy with the Graveyard Shift Talk Show. What a busy week it has been, right? I mean, first I'm at the film festival, then I'm with Dr. Paul Bearer, then I'm back with the Spanish Lyric Theater and their production of Luisa Fernanda, and now here I am on the air talking to someone from Sweden who's actually in Sweden, and his name is Marcus Ovnall. Hello, um, uh, Marcus, is it okay if I call you Marcus? Yeah, it's fine. It's That's perfect. great. Perfect. <laughs> Wonderful. And, you know, uh, first of all, I want to welcome you to the show. You know, Marcus is one heck of a talented guy. He has his own film production company called Avnal Film. Is, am I pronouncing that correctly? Sounds perfect. Yep. Great. And um, it's, uh, he's had it since 2013. He's produced uh, – the film. The company's produced two short films and one feature in that period of time. All the films have been recognized and even won awards all over the world. The break-in – which was a feature film and um, was actually, it was your uh, directorial debut in the feature film, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so that one toured the festival circuit for over a year and it won eight awards and was nominated for 30 more before the film was released earlier last year. And right now, uh, his company is actually in the final stages of uh, financing their next project and they're developing a slate of features and two TV dramas. So, you're one busy guy, Marcus. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I got a lot of good people helping me too. So I'm 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 busy, but I'm I'm having a lot of fun. It's fun. The film industry is fun. That's great, and you know that's kind of one of the things that that this interview is about. You know, is being that we're here in the states, it's it's kind of we tend to lose perspective on how basically other people also do films, not just Hollywood, and. You know, when you're, um, you know, especially uh, since you, you know, you obviously have been here to Florida and to Tampa. Uh, in fact, that's where you and I met. And so, yeah. you know, you have some idea of how difficult it is for not just an American or somebody that doesn't live in L.A. or New York to, to do to distribute and to produce a film. But really, you definitely have a firsthand, uh, you know, experience with how that how difficult that would be. Overseas, and that's kind of my first question: How different is it, or is it different, to to produce, distribute a film, say in America, than you would in well Sweden, in Europe, for that matter? I that that's um, I, I don't I, I think it's essentially the same. I think I think the film industry is not that different. Uh, it's it's it has its. Um, it has it has its ways of of, of distribution, has its ways ways of production and, and writing. So 
but I think I think um, I don't think it's the, the biggest difference. I don't think there's a big difference. I think there's a difference in um, in competition because uh, because uh, a lot of people there's a lot of people competing for the spots in the cinemas. If you if you're from the United States, but there's a big co- competition for the cinemas here as well. But I I think I think it's I think it's different. Um, I just think it's different challenges. I don't think one is better or worse. I, I just think that uh, at the point we're at now, where where, where cinema and, and film and content is so is so worldwide, it doesn't really. I mean, no studio in the United States makes a film for the U.S. market. I mean, you can look at uh, the Great Wall, the one that uh, Matt Damon did, where, right. where the people are saying, okay, that didn't do very well. But but if you look at it, it's one of the films that actually made the most money out of all films this year. So it's, it's actually a big hit, but it was a big hit in China. So so filmmaking filmmaking is global. It's not it's not it's not it's not for a country or for a for a market. You, if if you want to make films, you should try and communicate um, to a global audience. And how do you do that? Well, usually, well, what I, I think, what what I what I think, and this is just for me, if you use human emotions, if you if you actually tap into the human emotion and human psyche of of human beings, we're all kind of the same. I mean, there's no big difference. Everybody loves their child. If, it doesn't matter if you're from Africa, from Asia, from Europe, or from the United States. It doesn't matter. You have the same kind of relationship with your child. You you love your child without without any boundaries. So I think I think um, I think there's challenges. I think there's more money to make film in the United States than there is in in, in Europe, especially Sweden. Uh, but there's also more people, so I, I I don't know I don't know I don't I don't see it as a as an issue. I think wherever you are, realize what you can do in that market, and realize what you can do in that. If, so if you're in Louisiana, what can you do there? They have great tax tax right. incentives. So I mean, just 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 don't get bothered with I have to be in LA to make movies because that's not the case anymore. Like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, probably yeah, probably that's probably what it was. But today, no, just just make your movie. Just just make a statement with your movie and just make it. You got it. And you know, speaking of that, how did you get to the point where you were uh, now a f- professional filmmaker? doing film uh in in your home country or well you know what i mean in your living in your home country but you know doing them worldwide how did you get to where you are uh, i uh i mean financially or or just uh just so kind of like in just kind of in general like basically um you know it's like for example here in america you would have uh somebody you know maybe studying at school and then they would oh, yeah. get okay. an internship or something to that matter I um I went to film school in LA and I I came home and I started doing PA work just uh just doing every single thing I acted I I I casted movies I was a location assistant I was a location scout I did I did every single I've probably done pretty much every single position on a on a film um probably I haven't done like the last part of of post production I've been involved with it I haven't done it physically but I I've, I've been doing everything from writing everything for through productions and and all the way up to editing and I to me I think I think learning the learning the learning your craft and learning it inside out and whatever industry you go into whatever business you go into if you if you know what you're doing if you know every single aspect of it then then you're going to be more successful than if you don't so so and, and that wasn't a, that wasn't a constant choice that was just the work i got so i just started working on different things and i was going to i was going to be an actor i wanted to be 
I wanted to be a big Hollywood uh, Hollywood celebrity. I wanted to be one of the big big ones, like uh, Brad Pitt. Uh, but apparently, well, I mean, you, I'm not you're that... you're better looking than Brad Pitt. I mean, you know, if you don't mind me <laughs> saying so. <laughs> no, I'm not better looking than Brad Pitt. Pretty, you're, you're selling yourself pretty, short, Marcus. No, 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 no. He's the prettiest man. I've, I've actually met him once, which is just weird. But he's the prettiest man I've ever seen. Uh-oh. Um, Don't tell Angelina. And, uh, well, aren't they no. divorced? Oh, yeah, you're divorced. That's right. See, this, you know, uh, that was a test. No, it wasn't. I totally forgot they were divorced. But I guess don't tell Jay, Janiston or whatever, Jennifer Aniston. So, uh, so that's cool. So you got to meet Brad Pitt in person. That's pretty neat. So let me well, ask you this. Walked, yeah, go I ahead. Go ahead. Past, I walked oh, you, past him. He was laying on the grass, and I walked past him. I was like, oh, my God, that's Brad Pitt. And I was just, like, scared out of my mind. I was 21. I was a film student, 21 years old, and I saw the biggest – I'm from a small city in Malmö outside of outside – of, one of the the third biggest cities so I'm, from, I'm in Sweden. So I'm from a small place. So when I went to LA, I moved to a city that's bigger than my country. And one of the one of the first couple of weeks, I meet I'm, I meet Brad Pitt, which is like kind of like he's a. I mean, I mean, I knew he was real, but I was 21. I just got out of high school. I I went to university a little bit, and I and I went over to LA. And and he was just laying there in the grass, and I was like, that's that's like meeting God. <laughs> So it's like meeting Elvis if you're in if you're in Japan, or back then. Well, kind of, yeah. yeah. Oh wow. It's different, it's different now, but it's it's just at that point I just came to LA and I, I I didn't have any experience in the film industry and I was just like I was starstruck to be honest. That's cool. So let me ask you this: so when you're doing your films and everything, so you obviously do you film them all in Sweden or do you or do you find it uh, is it better to to go to other countries or other areas and film them? So far, uh, the three of the, uh, the films I've done have all been, been in Sweden. I've done English language films in Sweden, but I've done uh, mostly here in Sweden, yeah, or only here in Sweden. Um, I worked on on productions in LA when I was in LA, uh, but I haven't I haven't produced anything that's not that's not out of Sweden. So, but that's the next one we're doing that now. So, so the, the break all... the, the break in was filmed in your in in Sweden. Yeah. Okay. And that's the one. Is that the one? That's the one that won the um, the the award for the Gasparilla Festival. I believe it was in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, or 2016. Yeah. So 2015. Uh, yeah. 2015. Yeah. So okay. So speaking of film festivals, well, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, what would happen is a producer would do a film, and then you know, to get distribution or to try to get it noted, or you know, noticed. Excuse me. Uh, they would obviously distribute it to film festivals. So. You know, with when it comes to doing a, 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 you know, you'll forgive me, okay? I'm sorry, a foreign film, and I know yeah. that's, you know, depending on who you speak to, a lot of people don't like it to be called that because they, hey, I'm, 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 I'm doing my own movie. What are you calling it foreign for? But for the sake of, <laughs> you know, for the sake of our audience. So yeah, when you're yeah, doing, do that. it doesn't matter. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that, my friend. So you know, when you're doing a film like that, um, and you're bringing it and you're distributing it. So do you get offers from like all over or do you find that you're no, no, mainly getting offers from production companies here in America? Um, I, we, we got offers from all over. Um, when after, after we signed, we actually got the distribution. We, we got one comp when I got into uh, Gasparilla, sorry, I'm, I'm going back and forth. No, 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 that's story. okay. I'm, but when I when I got into Gasparilla, I, uh, I I got an offer for distribution in 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 the United States and Canada, North America, 
And uh, for a couple of different reasons, it just didn't, it wasn't the right fit. And then we got a, we got a better offer later, not a better, we just got a, something that fit better. They were specialized in, in foreign films in, in um, North America. So that kind of fit better than being part of a company that kind of distribution company that didn't uh, focus on foreign films that just focused on actually more English speaking films because we would actually stand out. And so it's, it's, it's about finding the right fit for your film. And then, then, um, Nordic films, they have a tendency to spread because there's a lot of people interested in what ha- what's happening. And because Nordic noir is a big thing right now, there's a lot of crime series coming out of, 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 um, out of, out of Sweden, Norway, Denmark and Finland, sorry. Um, and, um, so I, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot of people are, are looking at it and interesting and interested in buying it. And for that reason, just for it's coming out of just the right market at that time. So we did get offers from South America. We did get offers from Germany, um, the UK, uh, and Sweden, of course, and Nordic, the Nordic countries. Um, and some we, we took and some we didn't. And uh, for every for different reasons. Um, and um, yeah. Okay, that's great. So then what? So then what then? So then, okay, you get all, you get all these all these offers. Okay, so and why? What makes you decide on doing it? For example, let's say distributing it here in America, or not, or distributing it in Europe. Because for America, I mean, this is not me sucking up to America, but America, if you want to be a business, if you want to do anything in business, you you need to have success in America. Because if you have success in America, you can sell it to anywhere else in the world. So if you make it in America, you're going to make it anywhere else in the world. And basically what happens, what happened is when we signed with the American distributor, we got all the other distribution offers. Before that, we didn't get any. So, so um, wow. I, 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 think it's, I think that's the same if you're a sports brand. I think that's the same if you're whatever. I mean, America kind of sets the tone a little bit, uh, especially in the film industry because it's so big. It's not the biggest country in the world. Uh, uh, India is bigger, but they have it, it's not the same culture. So, so the rest of the it's not probably the same culture as Pakistan, but but it's not the same culture as Europe and the United, the United States. Still, they are doing really really well. The Indian films in the United States, but I think I think it's just about if you if you can get it distributed in the United States, you'll have a bigger shot, shot at getting it distributed in, in Europe and the rest of the world. Um, to me, that's that's true. I don't I don't know if that's true for everyone, um, but to me, that's true. But and, on the flip side, if you if you can, I mean, there's a couple of films. A couple of my friends who they made films and and they had like a big theatrical success somewhere, and and they sold it to all these different territories, and one country just loved it because that's some sometimes that happens. You look at music. Some people are loved in in, in Germany, and nobody knows about them in Sweden, which is like we're neighbor countries, and and so if you can. If you can get like a, if you can hit if you can hit somewhere you can make a lot of money somewhere you'll sell more and a lot of films they they make it big in Europe first then they go over to the United States so you can do it the other way around for us it just made more sense to go to the United States first and then to go to Europe um, yeah yeah I mean why and what what a trip I mean you're talking about you're kind of going back and forth you know you're over there you're coming over here then you're going back and you know maybe maybe going back over there with the with the film so. Well, that that film, you know, we want to talk about around the world in eighty days. I mean, holy cow! <laughs> well, and and so okay, so then you know, and when it comes to, you know, making and distributing films, we kind of, you know, most most of us kind of know what how things work here in America, and of course it depends on where specifically you live. Like for example, in California, their laws, con, con, you know, considering 
producing and distributing a film are way different than they are in, you'll forgive me, uh, my beautiful audience, but they're very different from where they are in Tampa. And, you yeah. know, I know you and I spoke about this briefly when we, we when we were in person, but, you know, we were talking about how here in, in you know, in Florida, there is really not that much freedom when it comes to getting a film done. You know, we have a lot of hurdles that we have to jump over. There are no yeah. tax incentives for, you know, companies. And let me tell you something. I am not a liberal, okay? I'm a conservative. Yet, I I see the importance of having that in place because guess what? We're losing movies to Atlanta for crying out loud. No disrespect. I love Atlanta. You guys are awesome. And you know what? You're getting the movies and good more power to you. But kind of what I'm getting at Marcus is so we have all that stuff to kind of contend with here. Do you do the filmmakers in Sweden and maybe even in your I don't know if you know about it and the other countries in Europe. Do you guys have um what what kind of like freedom or 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 obstacles do you guys have to contend with over there? Uh in Sweden we don't have uh tax incentives at all. We do have government supported films so you can actually you can actually apply for government funding and you can get you can get your film made that way. Uh, which is great, um, and there's a bunch of different. There's so many different support systems you can go through, and, and so many different ways to, to to make your film that way. Um, they don't fund all of it, so you need to find funding somewhere else. And uh, so there's a fine line between making something commercial and art, art still with an arts eye to it, which is not always the easiest to do. Um, I think I think from from a standpoint of, I mean, a lot of these places with uh, tax incentives, they have a minimum spend. So even though there's, they have tax incentives, they will only give that money to the bigger productions. And right. because they right. do have tax incentives, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that you'll get it. So you still have to apply for it. So I think, I think you're right. I think you should definitely have tax incentives in in Florida. And I I, I think that politicians are thinking about the, it, it the wrong way. They're, they're how they're looking they're looking at it this way they're saying okay if you need tax incentives you're not a, you're not a prospering um business which in one yeah. way they're right but in another way it's it's like if if the bigger if the big production companies if the big distributors are not coming to your cuz cuz Miami was built on film on and on television exactly I mean, yep. And, yep so they they forget about the tourism they forget about but I agree with them, and I, I think as a first-time filmmaker, nothing should stop you. You should make your movie in Tampa. You should make your movie in Miami, because I don't think they're against movies. I just I just think they're against um, tax credits. I think that's just that's yeah. how that state is run. Right, right. No, I think you definitely hit the mark. I mean, you know, the thing is, you're right. You know, there's I mean, I'm not not to belabor the belabor the point, but. You know they're they're basically looking at you know the, the the film companies and they're saying well why do you want these incentives you know when the other other businesses are not asking us for them and they're not seeing it from the perspective of these companies are coming from another location and they're yeah. having to travel here stay here use our local resources you know rent out hotels rent out yeah. you know eat you know, eat at the establishments here, you know, travel, that's gas mileage, that's, you know, and this, all of this uses local resources, and that yeah. comes out of their pocket, and, you know, movies 
you already know, cost a lot of money to make. And, you know, it's like, I mean, even even with local theater, you're talking thousands and hundreds, and in some cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. With a movie, you're talking sometimes, depending on the movie, millions of dollars. And, you yeah. know, any, any but, way but, you can save the money helps. But if you make your first film uh, and you can't get money from from people to, to make it for a million, um, that you should never, ever go over a million dollars. Never right. when you make a yep. movie. Keep it at 800, keep it at 900, whatever. Don't go over the million because then you're going to get a, a lot more to deal with with SAG and AFTRA and all these things. Yep. But you never go yep. over a million. Uh, secondly, I think if you make your first film, I made my mine for 60000 and that's it. That's all I paid for it. And, and you, can, you can make a film... You can make a feature film that actually works and apparently wins awards too. And you can actually sell that film and you can actually make some money back on it. If you, but you have to be smart. But, right. but there's no, I, I, I don't like, there's so many people who want so much money for their films and they want so much money up front and they want, they want it for their first film. And I'm, I'm getting a lot of this now because I'm getting a lot of people coming to me saying, oh, you helped me produce my film. You produced films before. Can you produce my film? And they want a lot of money to make it. And I'm saying, okay, do you, cause there, there's so many reasons why you shouldn't make a film. There's, there's a million reasons why you shouldn't produce your own films. Um, and there's only one why you should, and that's because you love making films. Right. So if you love making films and, and it's something that you want to pursue as a career, then, then pay for the first one yourself and then, and then go out and get it financed. And then just, just because there's, I, I don't see it as anything stopping you. The, the, the technical, the, the technical, the technical, the, the, the cameras, the equipment, all the equipment you need, it's so cheap today. So you don't, I mean, you, and you don't need the biggest cameras. You don't need the best because what, what you need is a great story. And if you can write a great story, you can shoot it for 60,000. Uh, and I mean, that's going to hurt a little bit in the pocket. It did, did to me definitely, but, but it's, 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 uh, it's going to be so much more worth it when you're done. And when you get that film out and you can say that, okay, I financed this myself. I, I did it myself. I, I worked my ass off and I, and I, I, I produced this. This is what I did. Um, uh, you have a case for your company. You have a case for yourself. You have, you have, you have everything you need to keep working in this industry, but don't get, I mean, I think, I think when we're talking tax tax incentives, we're talking about businesses who are so big that they they need it. And when right. we're talking about making your first one, I don't think you're going to get tax incentives anyway. No. So just no. make sure you make it. Just just do because what I did, I, I financed writing, and then I, I did a job, and I financed the production of it, and then I then I worked, and then I financed the the post production of it. So I kind of did things in between to be able to finance my film. Well, there you go, yeah, and, and you you kind of I mean you said it right there, you said it right there, and you you're I'm just so glad you're 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 saying this because see the thing is we have a lot of young filmmakers that are just breaking into the business that listen to this show as part of our audience, and I you know I tell them this a lot I say look don't expect the moon the sun and the stars when you're doing your first even your first couple of films you got to no, do right. it smart. You know, yeah. budget your movie. Make sure that when you're budgeting that you're doing it the right way. You know what? Get an accountant if you have to because guess yeah. what? When And you know this very well. When it comes time to get that movie ready for distribution, buddy, you better still have some money in that bank because you're going to need it because theaters yeah. are not free, you know. And, and you know, distributors, they're going to want their cut. And, you know, uh, you know t- paying the talent, paying all your crew, that's, that should have already been 
taken care of in in the in the preliminaries. But yeah. a lot of people don't get that making a movie you really need a a plan. And you can't just go I mean, now let me don't get me wrong, okay? Yeah, we have you know many filmmakers who just like to pick up a camera and go and yeah, and you should do it. You know, look at Blair Witch Project. Blair yeah. Witch Project was an absolutely insane hit. And what did they use? They used a little a camcorder for crying yeah. out loud. And and so I mean it does you know, you don't have to have high end cameras to make a good movie. Like you just said, a story is is what people want. And yeah. um so now that kind of brings me to my next question. When you you know, do these movies so you do, when these stories are are being decided, do you do you like to, to pick from your own, you know, kind of um stories or do you do you just kind of go out there and, and you know, field it? Um well, I mean, every story you write is is from you somehow. Uh, but but it's it's about it's it's kind of about imagination. It's just like what I I I'm what I can say and what I what I what I learned is is writing is one of the most is the most important craft of all filmmaking. So so to any any new filmmaker out there, learn how to write and learn how to write well. Because if you do that, you can do you can do whatever you want. I mean, you can if you know how to write, you'll you'll learn how to, to direct. And if you know how to write, you'll learn how to produce because you'll figure it out. And and but there's there's a lot of people that don't know how to write, and there's a lot of writers who don't know how to write. And um, and um, it's it's the, probably the most important aspect of all of filmmaking. It can save you so much money if you write write a script that's actually written in the, in the correct way. Uh, it's going to save you a lot of money when you when you start shooting. So so it's um, so that's basically what I I really put all my time and effort into just writing something that actually so that I can send it to people and people will read it and everybody will will maybe they won't like it that doesn't matter but they will at least read the same story. It's right, not confusing. Right. So yeah. So when you know talking about we've been talking a lot about you know uh, the the financing and the money and all that stuff and I'm sure. A lot of the the audience would like to know if you if it's okay for you to say this. Um, how would you advise someone who's getting into this to to seek out financing? What what do you feel is one or a few of the more effective ways of getting it? Because I mean, sixty five thousand, you know, people don't just have it. A lot of people just don't have it in their no. pockets. So how no, no, would no. you? How, yeah, how would you do that? How, how would you advise I, that? I, I didn't I didn't have it either. So I mean, I I started working. And I, 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 this is this is my only advice: grow, grow your business organically, Go, grow your filmmaking career organically. Because if you can, if you can, if you can finance your first one yourself, if you can, if you can do the, I mean, if you if you're straight out of school and you you want to be in filmmaking, don't direct your first movie straight out of school. Then it, some people do, and they, they're brilliant. And I mean, the guy who now won the La La Land, he's like 22 or whatever he is. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. But he's like, so, I mean, but there's, there's geniuses out there and we should never compare ourselves to geniuses. There's always, there's always going to be these people who we look at and go, wow, I mean, that career is just amazing. That's what I want. But if, if you start thinking about that, if you start, if you start looking saying, okay, I want that kind of career. I want, I want to, I want to break out. I want to break into the industry when I'm 22. I want to win an Oscar when I'm 29 or whatever he was. And, and that's never going to work. So, so, so you should definitely aim for the stars. 
but you should never you should never look to the the geniuses of our craft and say, okay, how did this, these guys do it? Look at the other ones. Look at the ones that actually worked their way into this industry. And there's a lot of them who's done some brilliant work later in their career, but they started out making smaller films, and then they – I mean, Peter Jackson is one. He made small yeah. films, and then all of a sudden he made Lord of the Rings, and he won 52 Oscars or whatever he won, and he made billions and billions of dollars. And so I'm, I'm just I'm, – I, I, and he's a genius too. And don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying yeah. it's not. Well, Igmar, Igmar but, Bergman is another one. I mean, he's from your home country, right there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But I think I think and, and the, the only way to do that is if you keep your budgets modest. If you make your first film for for a, a low budget, low budget first film, and you finance it yourself, you and you don't owe anyone money, then you don't have to answer to anyone. Nobody's exactly. going to tell you when when do I get my money back. So so you you're free to to start working on your next one because you don't have to you don't you don't you don't owe anyone you don't. You're, you don't have any debt, and, and or maybe you do. Maybe you put everything on your credit card, and that's fine too. But just make sure you pay that off, and then you make your next one. Yep. So it's all about it's all about the grind. Going out there and grinding every single. It's a baseball player. If you play yep. if you play outfielder, you're going to be out there every every day, and you're going to you're going to you're going to hit the ball. You're going to and you're going to score a couple of days, and you're not going to score the next day. And, and it's it's just it's so so the grind is the most important thing. Then if you're a genius. Then be a genius when on a low budget. Then make a film for sixty sixty thousand and and right. win it. Because you yeah. can do that. I mean, Whiplash is one of them. They they well they actually had a lot, quite a lot of money, but still it didn't have that much money. Uh, Beast of the Southern Wild. I think they had two million, and and he won for best whatever best music I think. Um, so so you can do it. You can do it on a modest, modest budget, but you need to. You I I think. And I think it's just look at the people who now are doing the big ones. I mean, some some people make they make one small film and then all of a sudden they're they're directing like the the huge blockbuster ones. Most of these people, and there are exceptions of course, but some of these people won't keep working in this industry because they won't be able to handle a big crew because um, they haven't learned, they haven't done the work, they haven't done the the, the travel the the ladder. Uh, I won't name any names, but there's a couple of people who won't be working in the industry because they didn't. Because they progressed too quickly, they worked. They, they got too quickly up in the, up in the uh, from from a small budget to big budget. Now there are exceptions. I mean, Colin Trevor, who did just the uh, Jurassic World, he's an exception, and he's a brilliant director because he went from a really small budget and then then he made like tentpole film Jurassic World. Um, Gareth Edwards is also uh, someone who's. I was just going to say Gareth Edwards. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm not, I'm I'm just saying there's no rules. But don't make it too hard on yourself. Right. And, and yeah. well, and let, let me ask you this: what, what are your thoughts about crowdfunding? Because I, this is something that's become. Uh, I've noticed that it's become rather popular, uh, especially you know, uh, you know, locally. A lot of uh, these, not just filmmakers, but also um, you know, uh, direct theater producers and and live show producers have used crowdfunding and i mean you have varying opinions on that what are what are your thoughts about that um i i think crowdfunding is great for spreading the word for your production uh mm -hmm. i think that's something that people should definitely use it's something that that's working somehow there's a lot of good examples to it where, pe where people made a lot of money made a lot of, a lot of tickets for their crowdfunded productions i don't think crowdfunding actually makes you that much money but I, I I think it builds a fan base, and I think a fan base is is more is worth more than the actual money you make out of it. But I think sometimes they're selling 
sometimes they're doing the the, 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 the crowdfunding and they're actually selling things that doesn't really make any sense to, to right, either yeah. the person buying it or the, 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 the production company selling it. Um, I would do it differently, but that's kind of my trade secret and I would, I can't, because I'm I'm doing it differently, so I'm not gonna I can't. <laughs> that's no, my, no, my, yeah, you know what I mean. I mean we all have, but I mean figure it out, be innovative, do something different, do something that someone else didn't do, and that's basically the well, only you thing go. you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Marcus, um, we're we're uh, almost out of time here, but I just wanted to let me ask, what what is next for you? So you know I I know you're working on. Uh, you're financing your next project. Can you tell us a little bit about that, or or is I can't, that or I can't, can't really, okay? Uh, I, I can say that we're close, and um, and uh, it's it's uh, uh, from here on out, it's basically all um, English language films um, okay. that we produce, and except for one that's a, an animated film that we're going to do here in Sweden. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. Uh, it's something different, and. Um, yeah. Um, it's based on the best-selling book series, and uh, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. It's something different. Something I, I like to learn. I like to learn different parts of, and I've I've never I've, I'm going into the animation side of it now, and so it's just I, I think it's about staying keeping on your toes, and and um, or that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying I'm trying to figure out <laughs> what's fun to do, and then try and do that. And um, but yeah, I, I, I understand that. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I mean, is it going to be like, can you at least say will it be a feature or is it a documentary or, or it's a feature. It's, um, it's a feature. It's, um, it's going to be hopefully I'm, I'm trying to shoot it in Tampa and, and in Canada. Oh, oh nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we'll see, we'll see how that works. It could be also be LA and, and, and LA and, um, and Canada or the Ottawa area. Tampa, um, Tampa, Tampa, Tampa. <laughs> we'll, we'll I'll, 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 I'll do my best. I have a lot of good okay. But, well, um, well, you know, you know where, you know, you know where to reach me. Okay, yeah. if you need like an amazing actor or, or somebody to like pretend to be a, a talk show person, you know. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm always pushing myself. The audience knows this, but anyway, Marcus, I want to wish you the best of 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 everything, my friend. I know, I know it's. Yeah, oh boy, it's it's a tough road, but my gosh, we're in the best business in the world, right? We are. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. And so, uh, are we gonna see you in town soon? Because I, I I wanted to take you to, uh, to I mean, I'm sure you've tried some of the Cuban food here. Um, if not, I was gonna take you to to maybe sample some some local Cubano comida cubana. And oh, um, nice. yeah, let's do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Here. I'll be back next year for the festival. I'm 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 probably going to be I'm I'm going to be on the jury next year and I hopefully they'll keep me around as long as I don't Oh, so you'll up. see me. Oh, you'll <laughs> see me. Yeah, I'll be I'll be there for sure. I don't know what capacity, but I'll definitely be there. Marcus, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with thank us. It, it is so Oh, it, it, one one last thing, one last thing if I may. Yeah. Um you know, this weekend we're, I'm going to be discussing the flat earth theory because there are actually – oh, yeah, there are actually people who believe the earth is flat. And um, uh, first of all, you're not one of them, right? No, I'm not one of them, no. Okay, I just want to make sure before I go any further. <laughs> just want to make sure. So I just want to confirm that what, – what time is it over there right now in Sweden? Uh, 3.38. 3.38, and uh, I'm looking at the clock right now, and it's 10.38 in the morning. So I just want to point well, out that we are on different times, and we're speaking at the same time. 
but how? What's the what? What's the case they're making? What's the case? Oh, for? oh, that, that's like a whole show, my friend. They're they're oh, okay. like, oh, I could go in. I mean, it would take hours to explain. Let's just put it this way: um, they basically believe that the sun does not go around the Earth, and that they don't believe that we go around the sun, and they don't believe the Earth is round. And I'm still I'm still reading up on their literature, so I might have a few of those things misconstrued. I'm sure they're yelling at me right now. I but probably they they think I mean but that's 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 the Christian uh, that's that's the religious aspect of it because they think that the sun goes around Earth and not the other way around so it's, it's and and that's right they, yeah but, yeah but, so it's kind of funny how they just kind of ignore Copernicus and and uh, and and everything and well anyway so I'm I'm gonna completely decimate their theory this weekend I'm trying to get one of them on the air. But I doubt. I don't know if that'll happen or not. You know, we'll see. But anyway, I just wanted to kind of get you in on that for a tiny uh, well, little. This is, this is my this is my thing. I think I think if you think that Earth is the center of the universe, uh, you're wrong. First of all, and yep. and secondly, I think it's kind of arrogant to think that we're the center of this this wonderful, beautiful. I mean, every night when you walk out and you look up at those stars. I mean, it's 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 mind-boggling. I mean, it's, yeah. it blows your mind how beautiful it is. And not now, I'm not saying that scientists are right because I think they're always pretty much always are wrong. But at least they're trying to. Um, uh, I, I, at least I, I, they're trying to figure it out. Um, right, right. Yeah, but, I mean, we definitely don't have all the answers, but we're we're at least at least we're still seeking them. You know, yeah, and, and, and I want to add one more thing. And sure, the nicest people I know and the best people I know are all religious. And I had a beautiful experience of flying back. Uh, I met a I met a father of um, of a Catholic school in um, on the plane back, and I had the best flight back from Tampa to. Uh, I'm afraid of I'm afraid of I'm afraid of flying. So I was on the plane, and then it was a really bumpy ride. And I sat next to this, this father, and he kept me calm by just actually being there and just just listening to me. So I think I think uh, religion is a great thing, and I think that's something that we should all cherish. And and it's some it's it's I think I don't, this is not religion. I'm I'm not I'm not confusing. No no no. no I understand. I understand. Yeah. I'm just saying that that I, I think I think we need to be a little bit more humble people. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you, my friend. Well, that's great, and you know I'll. I want to thank you so much for joining us, Marcus, and and uh, it was a lot of fun to talk to you. Definitely awesome to meet you in person, you and too. I can't wait to to see you again, my friend. And uh, listen, you you take care of yourself. And um, and there we go, guys. That was the interview between myself and filmmaker Marcus Avnall. Now I've had a caller on hold for quite a while now, so I want to go ahead and bring them on the air now. This uh, this caller uh, says they are around Earth. For the caller, you are on the air. Can you give us? I hope they're still there. Can you give us your first name only and where you're calling from, please? Uh, my name is John, and I am calling from Cochrane, Georgia. I am on leave. Oh, and, and right, and I just want to make sure, so you're, you're an Army Ranger, is this correct? Yes, sir, I am. Well, and first of all, I want to tell you, thank you so much for your service to our country. Uh, I always, you know, anytime I meet anybody or even speak with anybody in the military, I always do that. Um, as I mentioned to you on, you know, when we were screening you, I, I, uh, I have a family in the military, so I, I kind of have a soft spot for anybody that's in the service. So thank you for that, sir. So, um, John, you mentioned to me that you are, a, a, you're, you actually believe that the, the earth is round. Is this correct? Yep. I know it for a fact. 
Well, just you know, John, I got, I'm I'm gonna call you on this, buddy. You just you know, all these people they splatter. Look, you know, no, look. I don't. I think I might be. Uh, maybe I'm <laughs> approaching this the wrong way. <laughs> I don't want any of you guys out there that believe in the flat earth theory to think that I'm gonna make fun of you. Okay, I know I joke around a lot, but really, it's just uh, because this is a comedic show. So if you guys call in, I will not make fun of you. I might poke fun at the theory, but that's not the same as making fun of you. Now, John, why don't you tell us uh, your views on on the round? What what makes you so sure that the Earth is round? Okay, now, if you ever go to Iraq, if you're on a plane, in fact, if you're just on a plane, you look Mm -hmm. out the window and it's daytime, you'll see the sun. Now, I want you to pay very close attention to the sun on the horizon. You'll see. Now, when the sun is coming up or going down, you'll see a bending at the horizon, especially if 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 you're looking straight at it. You'll see a Mm -hmm. bending on the horizon. Right now, when that bending is, that proves the Earth is flat, especially on a land horizon, if you're on a land horizon, even better if you're on the water. Now, when you see that bend, that means that the sun is either coming up or going down, and the light is actually stretching across the water through a shadow effect. Now, what you're seeing there is the sun actually casting its light, moving and coming across the water and the land, because light is the most fastest traveling thing we have. That's why it lights up the Earth so fast. Now, if you look and you see that, and you'll be able to see the, the circle, the kind of the circular object where one side of the ground goes right to the bottom, and you'll see the kind of bend, and you can actually make out, especially if you're in a plane, you can actually make out where the earth is actually round. Now, at nighttime, even if you're on the land, just take some time to observe the sun of the sunset, especially in the desert. It's a lot easier to see in the desert. At nighttime, when the sun's getting ready to go down, you'll be able to see the shadow effect. Now, the shadow effect is where the sun, the light, is coming through and the light's disappearing, and you'll be able to see the round, the same effect, except it's much more clear. Now, me personally, I know the Earth is round because I've been to the point high enough to actually leave, and I've been able to see how the Earth is round, and I am 100%. If you all want pictures, I, uh, I can actually send them in. But I, yes, please, I, I, please do. I would love that. If you, if you, uh, anytime you want to share anything with the show, uh, we have a Twitter feed at Emmy Shift Show, E-M-I-S-H-I-F-T-S-H-O-W, and you please share it with us, and you, and all the fans will see it there, and I will see it too, and yeah, we would love to do, we would love that. Um, now this is very interesting. So you're saying that when you, uh, when you're on the air, when, or rather the plane on the air, uh, so yes. you're talking about the shadow passing across the horizon. Now, a lot of us is, always talk about um, the sun moving, but in reality, that's actually an illusion because what's really moving, well, of course, is the earth. Um, and yeah. really what's funny is one of, these, one of the, um, the, the arguments of the flat earth movement is that, well, our eyes play tricks on us all the time. You know, we, we think that the horizon is uh it just goes on and on but it really doesn't it's it's actually flat because you can see the line yourself and they have purportedly given quote unquote proof of the flat horizon even from a plane now i've seen these pictures myself and and yes they they do look rather convincing except except john that when you see these pictures you can look them up if you want they're actually rather interesting if you can just google flat earth oh my gosh Really interesting. Uh, you can actually see the lens flare in the pictures that is incorrect. It's at an incorrect angle. And when I say incorrect angle, they could say, oh, no, no, no. I mean, that's actually the right angle because that's what the flat. No, no, no. 
I'm talking about the lens flare that even the sun itself would cast, refracting the light in a certain way. Because light travels in a certain way. You cannot fake a light beam. It just goes where it's going to go. And the way that these pictures are made, it's physically impossible for the light to refract at the angle that they're purporting that. Are, yeah. You understand what I'm saying? So that's that's something that I personally noticed well, in these um, pictures. So I, I personally think they're doctors. It, it's got it's got me fucking cracking up, man. Because I'm sitting here and I'm like, <laughs> all right. So I know for I know for a fucking fact, man. I, I've seen this shit. I've this been around the world. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, 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 I didn't make it in the range by believing in a flat Earth theory. I'm not stupid. Not, not, not to call anybody stupid out there. I'm not no, trying no, to, I understand. to I understand. make y'all cry out there, but I mean, y'all are wrong, and you're stupid for believing that. And God oh, have my mercy God. Well, I, and I, I, I won't say that for, to them, but I will say this. I will say this. Um, I, look, I know that at some point in our history, we believed this as a, as a species, as a people. This was like a fact, okay? And, and, yeah, I mean, and there were, the people actually were put to death were saying that the earth was round. I mean, you want to talk about screwed up, you know, I mean, there were people like, 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 um, oh, gosh, uh, um, uh, Bruno, Giordano Bruno, Giordano Bruno, which, who was a monk, by the way, he believed in a round earth, and he also believed in a star, stars in the sky and other mm-hmm. suns. Now, back then, that was heresy. That was like, if you said that, they'd be like, oh, my God, the devil's possessing you. And they actually burned him at the stake. This is a monk. This is the guy that was from the church. They excommunicated the guy, and they burned him for saying this. So, I mean, I try to, I try to put some perspective on this, but, I mean, come on. You know, John, we're in the 21st century, okay? There's a lot of ways I mean, to tell. If you have a compass, exactly, this, this is, exactly. this is just a unique little way to tell. If you have a compass, get in your car, and I want you to drive. What I want you to do is I want you to drive around in a circle, and I want you to watch your compass. Now, if your compass, if the earth was flat, your compass would not be spinning. If the earth was flat, it would point one way. So, I mean, you know, and if you look at the moon, you'll also be able to tell the earth is flat, especially if you pay attention to the moon's shadow and how the moon reflects on the ground. Because if the moon reflects, if the earth was flat, it would just reflect all over the earth at one time. Because the sun's moving around, so I mean, how are we able to? Um, how how is it daylight? How is it not daylight all the time? I mean, that, that's my question. Exactly. No, yeah, it, it, you know, you're right. I mean, facing one direction, you know. Right, and and I mean, you know the thing is, like they, a lot of times, what I've noticed in these arguments is that they they like to quote scripture and they like to say that oh, in Genesis it talks about. The Earth being well, uh, a firmament. You and all can come right back at him, buddy. There's a part in the Bible where Christ speaks, and he says, "At one part in, in one part on the Earth it will be night, and one part on the Earth it will be day." I will there come you like go. Night. So yep. I mean, yep. if if the Earth was flat, it would constantly be day, and it would just be a horrible desert, and it would not be possible yeah, to live exactly. on. Yeah, exactly. So right. I mean, and, and here, right, and not only that, not only that, but I mean, the, what I like to say is. I want you to think about something. When you now you cannot refute this at all. Do you eat fruit, John? Do you no, eat what? Kind of, what, what? What's what's your favorite fruit? What, what, what do you eat any fruit? 
Oh, man, I, I eat just about any damn fruit, man. I'll eat any Okay, so fruit. let's 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 just anything. Let's take uh, an orange, for example. So damn what right. shape is an orange? What shape is a sh- is an orange round? No, an orange an orange is round. Yes. Okay. Now, uh, no, let's think about why. Why, why is an orange? Is, why is an orange round? Why is a apple round? Why are grapes round? Why are why is a watermelon elliptical? Why is, in other words, are any fruits triangular? And now I'm not talking about that humans make them that way. Naturally, have you ever yeah. seen a triangular fruit or a rectangular well, fruit? I've seen one that came close. Okay, and, uh, but I'm talking about overall. Like, and if no, you would no, get you'll really, you'll really never see it. You never see it. Now there is a, now there's an actual scientific reason why that I looked this up. This is actually this is pretty fat. Well, to me, it's fascinating. The reason why that fruit is like that is because of the orbit and the tilting of the Earth's axis. Because well, you, think you know. about. It. Think about it. A tree gives its fruit, right? Now, what, what, the, what, how does it do that? The seeds come into the branches, or, or rather, the, the, the seeds come and they, and the, they, they, they grow the plant. Okay. Then the plant has these branches that come out, right? And then mm-hmm. they're going to produce the fruit. Now, when the fruit is actually growing, it's growing over time. Well, what's happening over time? The earth is turning on its axis. Now, if the earth was not turning on its axis, what would happen? That fruit would have what? It would just be flat, right? Yeah. I mean, it would grow. It would still grow, but it wouldn't grow in a circle. It would grow in a rectangular shape or just maybe just a really, like, wonky little, you know, squiggly. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, one of the things a lot of people don't realize is they teach you this in kindergarten, that the earth is round. So, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of questioning, you know, did these people ever go to school? <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, they, they, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hoping yeah, they did, but I, I think what we're having, I think what we're seeing here, John, is we're seeing um, a lot of disillusioning, uh, a lot of maybe, uh, you know, what I've noticed a lot of these believers are is that they're, they're a part of a lot of new age movements. And not not to diss the New Age movement. I know I know a lot of people that are in the New Age movement that are not flat Earth believers. I'm not saying that everybody in New Age movements are that. I'm just What's noticing the that the majority new, new Age movement is like the, the like the hippies movement of the '60s. So they believe uh, in free love and yeah yeah. yeah. So uh, what I'm yeah and what I've noticed is a lot of these people, not all of them, but a lot of them, kind of cater to that particular belief system. And again, I'm not I'm not throwing shade at them or any or at, at it or anything. I'm just saying it 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 makes a little bit of sense to me why they chose to believe this because it kind of goes along with the other ideology well, that this movement believes in. So really, but, I I think I can tell you how this got started, man. It probably got started no. by this somebody was an attention whore and they wanted attention, so they decided to put this up. And then some crazy asshole with too much time on his hands said, you know what, man, I'm gonna I'm telling you, this shit's real. So he got out there and he's like, "Hey, hey, sir, the Earth's flat." And this uh, stupid guy said, "Really, it's flat? Holy shit!" And then he told all of his fucking friends. And now all these damn people are sitting in their mom's basement, jacking off, watching Granny wants to party <laughs> to search, fucking faking the Earth's flat. I mean, that that, that oh that's what happened. Oh my god! Happens. 
<laughs> I gotta have more Army Rangers on. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that's what fucking happened. You know what? I, I'm not gonna disagree with you. Thank you so much for calling, Don. We'll have to. We're gonna have to, you know, cut the episode and or cut the episode off. And we didn't get anybody. We only we only got one guy brave enough to call in, an Army Ranger. Shame on you guys. And and you know what? You had your chance. You could have debated either of us or both of us at the same time. You didn't know well. So hey, yeah, thanks for calling, buddy. You can call in anytime. All right, man. So hey, thank you for keeping us safe out there, and you be safe yourself, my friend. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go find me some stroke mags. Uh, see you later. <laughs> All right. See you later, John. <laughs> Love that guy. Love it. Oh, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to have to be it for the Graveyard Shift Talk Show. As I thought, nobody was brave enough to call in and debate me on the Black Earth Theory. We only had one guy calling, and he was actually around Earth supporter. Big surprise. So that's okay. We had fun anyway. Look, 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 look. Let me just get down to brass tacks here, okay? We joke around a lot on this show, okay? I mess around. I poke fun at stuff. But when it all comes, is said and done, I do respect my viewers and my listeners. I am aware that you guys believe what you believe. I totally – you know what? You want to believe the earth is flat? Go for it. You want to believe the earth is a, is, is, is a disc on top of a turtle? Go for it. Believe that if you want. I'm not going to, you're wrong. Well, actually, I might tell you you're wrong, but I'm not going to make fun of you specifically for believing that. I might make fun of your theory, but I'm not going to make fun of you. And I thoroughly welcome you to make fun of me or, or what I believe. I can take it. I've heard it all. You know, uh, you know whatever. Jesus is a, is, is a wine chasing or a, a, a wine tasting zombie. I've heard them all. I, no, I really, I've had, I, I didn't just make that up. Somebody actually said that to me once. So, um, if you know what I think, I think if we allow ourselves to be bullied, okay, if we allow ourselves to let what people say bother us, then that makes that gives them power, okay. And if if you allow somebody to tell you you're an idiot and you're stupid and you let that get to you, that's not on them, that's on you because you should be a strong enough person to say, you know what, yeah, okay, you can believe what you want. But I know I'm not stupid. I know I'm not an idiot. So F you, you're that way. <laughs> so anyway, I know I don't usually uh, curse, but this was kind of a different show. I had a feeling I, I had a feeling it was going to go to the PG-13 uh, angle. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I know I didn't actually go to PG-13. I actually still kind of PG, whatever. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank all of you for watching. Um, I might touch on this again uh, late another time. Because I, I'm kind of fascinated by people that believe this. If you guys, uh, people are still chatting about it in the comments uh, from that Facebook article. So if, if you guys, you know, want to um, discuss it still online and you just didn't want to uh, discuss it, you know, with me on the air, that's fine. I don't mind. I can chat online as well. Next week. Saturday night at 8.30 p.m. I will be on blogtalkradio.com slash the graveyard shift and on the bid chat app. Just go, just download bid chat for free. Um, it's un- available at most app stores. You can watch me there. I know there's a delay. I know there is. And I'm, I'm very sorry about that. I have not figured out how to get rid of it. I, re- I don't know how. So until then, we're just going to have to deal with it until somebody figures out how to stop it. But uh, I'm really pleased with all the views we had tonight. 
And um, thank you, everyone, so for listening. And, and all, all kidding aside, if I offended you in any way, stop being offended. No, really. I'm very sorry if I offended you. But really, guys, it's okay to laugh at ourselves every now and then. Um, thank you for listening to The Graveyard Shift. This is Emmy, and I am – where are you? There you are. I am out of here. Peace, guys. You feel that universe? That satisfied feeling only comes from having finished a super epic, awesome episode of The Graveyard Shift online radio talk show. Hosted by your illustrious host, Emmy. Make sure to follow on blogtalkradio.com slash The Graveyard Shift and our Twitter feed. Hashtag Emmy Shift Show. To stay in the loop for future episodes. Until next time, Shifties, we're punching out.